Well, in our text today, we have a section dealing with uh, Ten Commandments. We have, we have the Ten Commandments today. You didn't know that we were going to do that, did you? But uh, they're really not the Ten Commandments that everybody is familiar with, but actually fit in with the Ten Commandments. They're part of a series of Ten Commandments. Now, actually, we're not going to do Ten Commandments today. Uh, I really thought of it at first, and I said, this is not going to work. I already had five full pages, and I was like, well, that's already over an hour. So I'll stop there. And so we'll do three commands today. Does that sound okay? Three commands in uh, our, I guess, a little short series on uh, the route to humility and what uh, humility is. It's, it's really interesting. There's like a sandwich here. You guys like sandwiches, right? You can't wait till after, uh, you know, around lunchtime. You might have a sandwich or something. At this, in this sandwich here, it's really like Proverbs 3.34. At verse 6, you have... But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Right? And that was part of the prayer this morning. It's part of the song that we sang. So it, so it prepped us up there. So that's verse 6. So it sets us up. And he's, of course the key word there is humility. Right? And then you go to verse 10. And that's the first part of the sandwich. Right? When you have a sandwich, you have the two pieces of bread. Well, that's the first piece of bread. second piece of bread is found in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. So there again, uh, same thing, and it's the same thought, and it's based out of our Proverbs chapter three thirty four, which says, "God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." And the concluding command: "Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you." And uh, so that's definitely the idea. Our key word there hits on it. So we're going to concentrate on uh, commands that uh, bring us to humility uh, throughout this epistle. We have been looking at tests. Tests such as trials. Trials show us who we are, how we respond to God. Temptations also was found in James chapter 1, right? So we're getting a little jet tour through the first uh, three and a half chapters. Uh, they were, they're all tests. Uh, in chapter 2, it was, uh, well actually I think in chapter 1, it was how we respond to the Word is a test. How do we respond to that? Uh, Purity of life it dealt with. And then in chapter 2, we dealt with people in their need. People who are needy, uh, who are poor. And also dealt with having no respect of persons in that thought. So we show a true faith, a true faith that produces good works. A true faith that has righteousness. A true faith that does righteous deeds. In chapter 3, we see a true uh, faith, and it's how we use our tongues. Remember that. We, we dealt with uh, the matter of the tongue, and also uh, you know, how we respond, the, the patterns of our speech uh, in the matter of wisdom. And wisdom was in that chapter, and, and so uh, one who is of God, who is a true Christian, has true wisdom. Uh, that's a true behavior. Then at the beginning of chapter 4, which is the chapter that we happen to be in now, was talking about we are to be separated from the world, we're to be friends of God and not friends of the world. And so therefore it talked about being enemies of the world, not an enemy of God in, in that sense. There's constantly, I think, been a battery of tests all throughout James, showing if one is a true believer or not. You can test yourselves by looking at what uh, James is bringing out here. True believers in the church uh, will show themselves through these matters uh, most of the time. And there will be other people who profess to be Christians, but they actually fall short and they fail the test of what a genuine Christian is. So that's why it's good to examine ourselves to see where we're at in the faith. And that's what James does all the way through. Would you say that James has been a very convicting book, even to Christians? You know, and if you are settled and you know you're a Christian, okay, fine, and and you should be. But then it also brings in the thought of Christians still need to be checking themselves where they're at in their walk. You know, and, and so what they're doing. So humility now is going to be a standard. It's going to be a test for us. Uh, James says, put your life up to these tests and and com- compare them. So in chapter four, uh, what is it? Verse six, chapter four, verse six. That's where we're going to start at. That's where we left. There's a little whistle, and I'm wondering, is that dealing with our furnace? 
No, it's the door. Okay, no problem. I'm glad it's that. I walked in here this morning. I came in here last night, up the temperature and put it up to about 69 degrees. And then when I'd come in, I'd put it up to 70. Well, I walked in, it was about 59 degrees. And I don't know why it was, or maybe it's 62 or something like that, but it was really way down. And, and so all night, it's like it must have taken that long to get warmed up. But anyway, I pumped it up a little bit more, and I thought, uh-oh, I'm really working the furnace. It's whistling at me. <laughs> so that's why I'm relieved. Do you guys feel warm now? Is it warm in here? I think when people came in, they just warmed up the place. You know, A lot of body heat, right? And the, the heat of the passion for Jesus Christ today here, right? So, anyway, um, verse 6 sets it all up. And it's really dealing with an invitation to unbelievers. As he talks about grace, and that's where we left off last week, so we're going to start with 6 because we didn't get enough into that because it qualifies being able to follow commands that are given, and we call them the Ten Commandments here today, uh, that are given here in James. And because of His grace, now we can do these things. There's a saving grace, so that's to the unbeliever. That's an invitation to them. And I think that's the text there that you would take in its context, as James has been producing all of this. And then 7 through 9, he has that, uh, what we are to do. Uh, And then in 10, he comes right back and says, humble yourselves. Uh, and you can only humble yourselves by the grace of God. But uh, not only to unbelievers, but we're going to say it's also to believers. We've been looking at this all the way through. Um, I believe it's a challenge to Christians. Um, we want to look at it that angle too. We first want to interpret the Scripture of what's being said, and then at the same time we'll say, well, now how does this take application into my life? Well, if you're a Christian, we want to have application. We're saved by grace, and then we are sanctified by grace. We live by grace, don't we? And uh, we're humbled when we see um, uh, Christ doing His work in us. Uh, there's a true humility that then is put on display and it's qualified by His grace and, and He gets all the, the glory for you, doesn't He? By His grace for His glory. I love that. There was a book entitled that. By His grace for His glory. Uh, what we want to do now is open up our Bibles, James chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 6 and go through verse 10. But He gives a greater grace. That'd be good enough for the rest of the day, wouldn't it? Praise God. Therefore. You know what therefore is, don't you? Because He's done this. Here's what we do throughout the New Testament. Here's what He's done. Therefore, right? It says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, here are the commandments. Submit, therefore, to God. Matter of fact, that's the very first command, isn't it? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. This is God's Word. May He write His eternal truth upon our hearts today here. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask this day in the midst of our struggles, even our own worldliness, that You would speak to us by Your Word. Lord, shake us from our spiritual sleep, the slumber that we have. Show us our spiritual poverty, Lord. Show us where we're poor in spirit, for then we're blessed. Remind us of our spiritual danger and give us the answer of, Your holy word. Lord, by Your grace, grant that we would seek the answer and follow in Your ways. For it is good for our souls. And above all, it's for Your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, Let's get right into it. You guys ready? 
James chapter 4, verse 6. We've been going through James. Can you believe we're already in chapter 4? And I'm not even sure when we started, but we just keep moving. It just seems like a few weeks ago. But uh, this is a joy when we get together and just turn to his personal letter to each one of us and start examining it and seeing the depth that is underneath this glorious Word of God. And by His Spirit, we can understand another truth. God gives greater grace. I love that, how He starts off with this. But He gives a greater grace. And we'll come back to that word grace. First of all, in verse 6, James makes it clear that it's God's grace that is the source of our salvation. And it is by God's grace God's grace is the very source of our sanctification, our everyday living. So all the way back to our new birth, and when we were justified by His grace, we're justified by the faith that is granted to us. It was this great grace, and we grow in grace, and we become separated from the world by grace. God's grace is the very source of how we live each and every moment. And have you ever felt that you've had some victory over worldliness? It was all by God's grace. Grace. We can fight the battle every day that we have. But you don't look in yourself. You look up. You look up to God and you seek His grace. Now let's turn to that Proverbs 3, verse 33-34. You have the Psalms in the middle of the book, and then Proverbs is right after that book. And Proverbs 3, and this is the quote that James uses. This is what we've already heard this morning in the prayer, and we heard in the song, and then in our reading that we just had in verse 6 and verse 10 even, Proverbs 3, 33 34, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though He scoffs at the scoffers, yet He gives grace to the afflicted. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And that's really what James used in his writing here in our James 4. He used that text. And you'll notice that there's really two kinds of people that he's talking about. He's talking about the unbeliever, and he's talking about the believer. And he says, the curse of the Lord is on the wicked. And then he says, but he blesses the ones who trust in him, or the dwelling of the righteous. He scoffs at the scoffers, but he gives grace to the afflicted or the humbled. Gives grace to the humbled. And so, you know, that's the two kinds of people that he's dealing with. Okay, let's look at our James here. It says, therefore it says God is opposed to the proud. In our Proverbs, I read the word wicked, proud, wicked. It's an unbeliever here. Uh, The word is hooper ephanos. Hooper ephanos, and it means to show arrogantly. To bring oneself over another. That's the word for proud. To be above others, right? And that's really what an unbeliever actually is. He's he's above others. And we look in Proverbs chapter 6. We were just in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17, verse 16 it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. And what's the very first one that He starts off with in the list? Haughty eyes. Or what? A proudful look. Pride. Right? That's the first one that He attacks. He says, These are the seven abominations. What are they? And boom, He hits right with that list. That's our problem. Before we came to Christ, that was our major problem. We didn't want Christ. We didn't need Christ. We wanted we wanted the life the way it was. Or we want Christ plus the way that we want the things ran, right? So that's an unbeliever. Now, a believer also has a problem with pride, though. It's because we're still in the flesh, right? We still battle with pride, and we will till Christ comes back. So, uh, the point, I think, is 
is uh, obvious. God is opposed to the proud. He, he frustrates a proud person's plans, a proud person's wisdom and, and ambitions. What He does is He places Himself against the proud. He opposes the proud. And you know what? I think the word is really interesting. It's, it's anto, anti, 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 isomai. That's right. That means to stand against. God stands up against the wicked, proud man. He stands up. He makes himself ready. It's a military term. Military. Ante tisomai. Ready for battle. He's opposed to them. He's in his battle array. He's against the proud. There's an aggressive enemy coming up against him and he stands up against it. He's an antagonist to the proud. Guess who's going to win? Guess who's going to win? We do, right? Because God wins. He's always going to win, right? And we're on His side. But He wins. He's, you know what He's saying here? I stand against those who are in unbelief against Me. Now, there's been a popular thing going around um, in the world today, and it happens to be the Muslim religion, which seems to be taking the world by force, and of all places in America, they just adore it. And now they're teaching uh, in some, some schools Sharia law, and they're teaching them to worship, guess who? The God of the Muslims. And bowing down, i got pictures of it, and I'm saying parents, you know, to, to the uh, out, out in the world, be careful what they're actually teaching them to worship. And Bob brought it to my attention a little over a week ago, a couple of weeks ago. This has been going on for a few weeks, but at Wheaton College, and I'd never heard anything about it till you brought this to my attention, and then I heard more about it yesterday. Wheaton College has always been known as an evangelical, conservative, Bible-teaching school. That's what they have as far as their beliefs are concerned. They've had great presidents there of the seminary, and they've had a lot of people come out of there, of, of people who've written books that I have uh, read and, and um, admired. But and and what has happened there is over the course of years, somebody didn't pay attention to what they believed when they brought in instructors, professors to teach these kids coming in, coming to an evangelical conservative school. And what has happened is one lady who is a professor there was actually uh, saying, and she said it on her Facebook, and she probably has taught it that way, and I'm sure there are others, but that there's really no difference between the God of Christians and the God of Muslims and the God of Jews. Well, I'll tell you what, God would stand against that remark because that is absolutely against Scripture. It's not because I say that, because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, no man comes to God but through me. So how can this instructor tell as they question her when she first came into the school, why would she say, yes, I believe in those fundamentals of the faith. Maybe it didn't cover the exact question. No, I don't believe Muslim theology is the same as Christian theology. And, and uh, I believe that there are, those are different gods and there's only one true God. They may not order it that way, so she has kind of crept in unnoticed and all of a sudden it comes out where she makes a statement where it's really the same. All, you know, And it's really the same thing we've heard. All roads lead to God. Well, that sounds nice to the world and they love it. That's what they want, except for Christians. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's turning against us. And now Muslims are really even becoming a popular thing in the government and in the schools. And they're the ones who are killing Christians all throughout the world and bringing their laws into the land and actually practicing them in their cities as it's actually going on here now in a small way, but it'll get bigger. Um, it seems like I'm attacking the Muslims. Uh, well, I attack ultimately the, the God of the Muslims, which is a false God. That Their God actually is demonic, and it's actually Satan. 
And that's an enemy. We have only one God. And we know that we cannot succumb and just make everybody just feel welcome and say, we'll embrace your God too. And so what? they have a term for that today, and it's in, quote, Christian churches today. What is it? Chrislam. Chrislam. Christianity and Islam. And we know, everyone sitting here, I, I know, would have to say, that those two cannot go together. You cannot worship there. I don't see Islam, though, where they're carrying crosses and, and uh, you know, bringing and exalting uh, up Christ. You know, I don't see that. Now, if the, the Muslim person would say, I yield to Jesus Christ, I turn from this idolatrous religion and I turn to the cross of Christ and trust in His sacrifice and His grace, that's what I want to see. I'm not against that person who is a Muslim, but what they stand for and what Islam stands for, I know that it comes from the enemy. Now, this is what God stands up against. And how can anybody in institution... And we come to find out that there were... A faculty that was supporting this lady at Wheaton. People who had graduated. That's the question. Why did they get out of there who were sent there to believe in the fundamentals Orthodox Christianity? Why are they there if they don't support that? Well, they graduate and they should have said, no, I stand against what she is just saying. No, they are supporting her. There are other, there's faculty. There are graduate students, uh, as many as 800. And these people support this school with their money. And now there is quite the conundrum because those who stand for the true faith, they know if they go up against this, they're going to have the world against them. And also, they're not going to have the money coming in like they had. And what happens to the institution? Well, what I say, it's God's. And whatever happens to it, it's going to happen to it. But I stand for the truth and the truth of the Word of God. And, uh, yeah, we trust in the Lord our God, not in the other, uh, the chariots and such. Right. But um, God is against that. That um, they crept in. Unawares. And uh, it talks about the faith. We have to hang on to the faith, the Word of God, the truth. And so when they can get into Christian evangelical schools, and they have been doing that for years, and you can name them off. Harvard was a Christian school. Yale was a Christian school. Brown was a Christian school. All the universities that started in the 1800s, they were all Christian schools. All of them. Now, none of them are Princeton, right? Oh, wow. What, what do you say? What do you say? Well, I think it um, makes us very aware of what's happening. I, I think they are the proud. God is opposed to the proud. And the word for proud there is huperphanos. means to show arrogantly above others. And so now we look at the word grace. We come back to that in our verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. And first of all, charis, it's God's favor that are, that's given to sinners even though they do not deserve it. Totally undeserving sinners are. That's all of us. Thomas Manton had a great uh, statement. Grace is nothing but an introduction of the virtues of God into the soul. I think I have that in the outlines and up there, right? Yeah. Uh, Look at that. Grace is nothing but an introduction. It's the virtues of God. The very nature, the characteristics of God that goes into the soul. That's what grace does. Grace speaks of divine action. It comes from God. Grace stands in contrast to works of mankind, of the human nature, and against the, the devil. Grace is in contrast to that. And it's a promise. He gives a greater grace. Here's the promise of grace for our need. We are needy people. We come in here with open hands, right? Are we needy? We always need God. We are needy. The world may pull at us, but God is going to give the grace that we need. 
Sometimes we can have an overwhelming need for God. And you know what? He gives it. We have a daily need for grace, doesn't He? Sometimes we can have a sudden need and He gives a sudden grace. He gives an overwhelming grace. He gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace. Grace stands greater than all that opposes us. All the things that come against us, God's grace is greater than that. Amen. Right? Everyone here, I think, can attest to that. Can you? <laughs> it is greater than anything and everything that is coming or will come or has come. God's grace always will overcome it. Overwhelmingly victorious God is. Why do we need grace? Because we're so limited. We are so weak. We're so sinful. We're so imperfect. We struggle daily against the pride that wants to assert how strong and how uh, how much abilities that we have and our own wisdom. See, the pride there is, is always there. We fight against it. We don't want to neglect trusting our God, do we? It gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed. He stands against the proud, the hooperphanos, the ones who show arrogantly against God ultimately. But He gives grace to the humble. Tapinos. It means lowly. It means meek. It means gentle. Humility recognizes our spiritual poverty. In Matthew chapter 5, 3, Jesus explained what a true Christian is in the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 5, 3, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility recognizes the poverty that one is in. Without Christ, we are poor. We're destitute. Matter of fact, humility acknowledges because of that our desperate need. When we realize how poor we are against a great, holy, mighty, sovereign God and that we're nothing, then we see the need. It's a desperate need. We need God's help because I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't do that. You're blessed when you really realize that. When one comes to Christ. Even in our walk, we realize, oh, wow, man, I've been acting in my own flesh. Oh, I need God. Humility submits to His commanding will for all of our lives. Look at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. By the way, we happen to be finishing in Isaiah and we happen to be around this section. We'll be dealing with this a little bit. Thus says the Lord... Boy, you've got to rejoice in this. Heaven is my throne, God says, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. It starts off with the, the great Creator, God. It always starts there. That's how we can identify with, with God. We can't identify with what eternity is. Say, what is eternity? I can't get, get my hand on eternity. Because He's always been here. But we can identify with creation. And He says, My hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being declares the Lord. But to this one I will look to Him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at My Word. Being humble, contrite of spirit, trembling at His Word, recognizing His Lordship and His greatness. That's humility, isn't it? That is true humility. 
Turn to Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4. Get some pictures of humility before we move on here. We're, we're, that's the word we're dealing with, right? And that's our key word today as we move into the commands. And um, how do we get humility? Well, Matthew 8, verse 18, verse 3 says, uh, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Children representing the fact they, they totally depend upon their parents. They can't do anything. They can't go out and make a living. They can't get the food that they need to eat. They're relying totally upon their parents. Well, we realize that we're totally poor and we have to totally trust in God, right? Verse 4, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, just like a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When you're low, you're exalted. And that's really who Christ went after for the most part, right? Look in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. But who the greatest is among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And so, there just make, breaks down the pattern of pride, doesn't it? Look in uh, Psalm 69, verse 32. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise His who are prisoners. He knows those. And we seek Him. And we want to be revived. We need a breath of fresh air even today to be revived. Every day we need a revival, right? And that's when we come humbly before Him at His throne. So, uh, Micah is another one too. That was a little bit harder to find, isn't it? You go towards the Old Testament from the Psalms, and then, of course, you run into Daniel, and you'll run into there's a James or Joel, and then an Amos, uh, Hosea. It's even after them. Now, see, that's where bookmarks really come in handy. <laughs> Micah six and verse eight. We've all heard this one before. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? What does He require? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk on a daily basis humbly before your God. Don't you like it? Your God. Walking humbly. Boy, there's a, there's a whole message in that, isn't there? <laughs> To walk humbly. He said, this is what God requires. To do justice. To love mercy. You might have the word kindness or mercy. To do justice. To love mercy. To walk humbly. To God. That's the word humble. That's what God wants us to be. So, we haven't gotten to the first command yet. You know that? <laughs> We're touching on that key word today. A God who says, here is my grace to receive. That's what we've been dealing with, right? He, he deals with humble. And now you know, He's saying at the same time, it's my grace that you receive. That's, that's how you become humble. Here's my grace to receive. And now you know what He says in the same breath? This is by Alec Motyer. Here are my commands to obey. I hope I have that up there. I do. Right up there, do you see taking one's place under God as sovereign Lord and ruler? Taking that place there, uh, lining up underneath Him. We'll get into that that word here. Uh, But we're qualified to follow these commands because why? Because of God's grace. 
And then he ends it with that other part of the sandwich, the other piece of bread, and he's talking about humbleness again. And humbleness is dealing with grace, as we've looked at. And so we, we walk humbly with our God because He's given us grace and now He gives us the commands to obey as we go into verse 7. Here's our first command. Our first command is, aren't you glad we're just doing three of these today? <laughs> well, it might be one. Alright. Alright. Here we go. We, we just finished chapter 4, verse 6, right? And that's the quote out of Proverbs 3. And then he says in verse 7, Okay, I'm going to give you a command. There's more to come because of His grace. Submit, therefore, to God. Therefore, because of this, submit to God. Hupo tasso. Has anybody ever heard of that word before? You've probably heard it very much. Uh, it really means to, to place yourself underneath. It's, it's another military term. You remember when we used the word oppose, right? That was military where God stands against it. And here he says, you align yourself underneath the authority that you've been given. It means to rank under. Hupo, under, tasso, to rank. To fall in line. Right? Military, you, you get in line. To fall under the ranks there. To take your place underneath the authority of the sovereign Lord and ruler. You love to submit. That's We submit there, then we see that we can submit whatever He calls us to do. If we submit to God, then we will follow that. Look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And we'll see the word submit. Subject. He went down, this is Jesus when he was uh, a young boy, like about 12 years old. He went down with them, came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, I mean all the way through his life. And as he started as a young boy and grew up, I said that he was 12 there, I was getting that confused. But anyway, he continued in subjection to them all the way through as they... Uh, parented him and his mother treasured all these things in her heart he was in total absolute subjection to another human being this is Jesus this is God and yet he was lining himself underneath the authority of the parents isn't that incredible now look at Romans chapter 13 verse 1 that that word there for subjection is the same word that we're using here to submit to God same Greek word hupotasso we keep looking at hupotasso. We look in Romans chapter 13, 1. Very familiar to all of us. And uh, sometimes this is a very difficult thing to do, especially when the governing authorities uh, really are against God. Every person is to be in subjection, hupotasso, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God may not be running at, at all what we like and how it's being done. Sometimes it's very anti-God. And where it is of godly things, then we are, and, and we're told to go against godly things, then we have to take a stand like the early church did. But at the same time, regardless of the kind of governing authority that has been established, we're still subject to that. And that's what the church is down through uh, the years. And there are evil types of government, but yet if there's no government at all, can you imagine what would happen? Yeah, absolute chaos. So there's going to be some kind of government regardless of how you like it or not. I know what I like, and, and, I, and I vote for that. You know, And, and I think we're all conservative here. Yeah, conservative, uh, whether it be uh, you know, economically, conservative as far as morals, even, you know, that's even more important. And it comes to life, the abortion, all the stuff that's happened underneath our government. We stand against that. We would we would um, be ready to be bold for it if it uh, needed to be. 
but yet at the same time there is at least uh, some kind of governing rule here where it would not be just absolute crazy chaos and we probably still are in the best land in the world uh, we've been blessed but it's not like what we like maybe the way it kind of supposed to be but it's never going to be the way it's really supposed to be till Christ comes back and we get the kind of government that is perfect and it's with the king King Jesus and it will be run absolutely right in every way so we look to that Ephesians 5, we all familiar with that. I'll just save some time. It talks about wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives. So he says that submission in the family, in the government. Uh, Titus 2.9 is going to talk about that. 1 Peter 5.5, it talks about that. Taking one's place really under the sovereign Lord and ruler is what it comes down to. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Now, if you're not a Christian, you cannot subject yourself to God. Why? Because in Romans 8, 7 it says this, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself. There's the word subject or submit, hupotasso. It does not subject itself to the law of God. Why? For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh, these are unbelievers, cannot please God. You see, they have no ability. It says here, they do not subject to the law of God. It's hostile. It's not able to do so. It's not able. It's a power word. It's a dunamis word. It's a dynamite word. It's able. Power. They don't have the power to subject themselves to God. And it says they cannot. It's like a double entry there. They're not able. They cannot. It's impossible for unbelievers to please God. And that's why in Hebrews 11 it says that without faith it is impossible to please God. That's what it says. So unbelievers are unable to submit to God's law. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, speaking of the nation of Israel here, he says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject, there's that word submit, hupotasso, they did not hupotasso, rank under, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. What did they put themselves under? The righteousness of man. They defined what the law was about. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They did not subject themselves to Christ, who is the righteousness, right? There again, same word. In pride, fallen man wants to set up his own righteousness. And the only way that we can get absolute righteousness is because of what happened at the cross when God the Father was pleased that His Son shed the blood for the sins of His people. So the essence of human rebellion against God is that they do not submit to the holy law of God because they cannot. They don't want to submit to the righteousness of God, to God's way of salvation. What is it? the submitting? We submit to what? Well, the God uh, of salvation. God's way of salvation. Uh, until we came to Christ, Uh, We had our own human pride. We did not seek after Him. We thought our own endeavor was good. We thought our own goodness was good. God's way of uh, uh, salvation is absolutely opposed to man's way of salvation. Any other religion He is absolutely standing against, He's opposed to it. Works we know that cannot ever satisfy God. It was an unconditional thing that He did, and it's unconditional that we submit to our Savior because we were poor and needy without Him. In Ephesians 2.4, after the first three verses, He uh, condemns man. He says they're children of wrath. And then in verse 4, He says, But God. But God. God and His righteousness. God and His grace, right? But God. And then we read on down through 8, 9, and 10 uh, what God did for us. Uh, so, it's submitting to God's way of salvation. 
It's also submitting to God's nature. When we start studying the Bible about who God is, we start getting some high theology, some high thoughts when we really go to the Word and we He's absolute ruler. He is sovereign. He's sovereign over my life. He has absolute control over my life. Now people, all of a sudden, get really antsy about that. Wait a minute. I want a little control here. Well, shame on you. You've got a problem. Because he says absolute surrender. If you're going to follow me, you have to forget yourself. You have to take up the cross. That's how you follow me. He says there's no more you. And so we all tend to submit to the part of God's nature, His person. But sometimes we can ignore deliberately or dodge the part of His person that we really don't care for. And there are people who do not believe in God's demand for repentance, God's way of salvation, and His nature is holy And yes, He is a God of love, and that's what everybody wants, but they don't want the holiness of God. And the thing is, He hates all sin. And sinners are enemies to Him. Unless they're converted. The Word reveals that sinners will be punished eternally in hell. That sounds offensive, Dennis. We can't present that kind of message. But Jesus did. He taught it in Matthew 25:46 and he said they will go to eternal punishment. How long is eternal? It's for eternity. It's not you just burn up and then that's it, right? We dare not fight that the wrath of God, the holiness of God, the hatred that God has for sin. We don't want to reject that. Just because you say, well, that doesn't sound nice. But we have to submit to God's nature, His person. He is absolutely righteous and just. And He is holy. We're not. Let my mind be changed on that sweet, loving God. And He is absolute loving. That we'd even be sitting here this morning and worshiping God is an act of love. Thank you. Lord, that You've taken me out of that bondage that I was in, that I didn't know I was in, and let me see You for who You really are. Submitting to God and His Word. So we submit to His way of salvation, we submit to His nature, and we submit to His Word. Submit. Bow down to Bow down to this God because of His Word. Boy, there are some difficult things in the Bible. And as you've been a Christian, you've found some things. You go, boy, you know, I know God is right there, but I just don't understand that. How about in 2 Kings, where you have Elisha, and Elisha is going out of the city, or and there are a bunch of young kids or young teens, maybe in their late teens, maybe mid-teens, even into their 20s, young men and there are a lot of them to be honest with you they're a gang they are a gang and they're after trouble go up ye baldy right he says they're just making fun of them you know what happens to those you know what happens don't you what is it the bear and I think, how many were there? Like 40 that came after them? We got two she-bears? But how many of the young men? There were a lot of them. That's the reason we know it. This is a gang. This is not little kids. Not little five, ten-year-olds. They're ones who are after Elisha and God protects him. And so that's how you interpret things like that. You go back to, what does the Bible say? Because that does sound rather... A little bit too much, God. You know, you know, these are just kids. You know, just having torn up and mauled by bears. What kind of God is that? You know what? That's what the evolutionists or um, the the ones who do not believe in God, when they come across that verse right there, they will use that against you. Are you ready to use verses? They don't know the rest of the Bible, but they will take certain verses like that that sound upsetting, and most Christians go, "Oh, wow." I, didn't know about that. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and to young young men, young women that are going to college, 
They hear stuff like that, and all of a sudden they start turning against God, and all of a sudden His Word is not, you know, how can I believe in a God like that? That's not very nice. And God would do that. Well, you want you understand that God is angry at the wicked every day. That's a scripture. I didn't say it. I'd rather make up God to be really nice and, and for everybody. You know, we all go there. No, that's not God's way. It's not gonna He's not gonna let sinners into heaven, right? Man sets his standards. That's the problem, isn't it? And that's pride. We submit to God's word. You know, we'd love to just maybe cut out some parts. Thomas Jefferson did it. You know, the things that just didn't seem like who God is, so he had his Bible, right? We've heard about that story. Well, you know, we, man can do that too. Uh, all of a sudden, they start taking out God's absolute sovereignty. And I've seen it where people dodge and dismiss certain parts of the Bible, or they don't read it in their Sunday schools, or uh, the preacher is uh, supposedly a verse by verse teacher, and boom, he just skips out a whole section because it deals with the absolute sovereignty of God. And it's just even verses I was just telling you about there because it's a little bit too much and this is a little harsh and people won't understand it. So they go on to another part and just dismiss something there and you go, wait a minute, why didn't he cover that? That's what I ask all the time. It really bothers me when they just cut out whole sections of the Bible in a passage where they're at and not say anything on it. <laughs> like I say, Romans 9 will definitely uh, do that. If you know about Romans 9, it talks about a sovereign God. He chooses who He wants, and there are others that He passes by. Um, another one to submit to is God's providence. We have to submit to God's providence. God does many things in our lives. God does many things in our lives. In His providence. Sometimes there are things in our lives that are really pleasant. Most of the time, you know, it's pretty pleasant. But there are times in in our lives where life is just kind of like a drag. Sometimes it's really hard to just get going for the day. Um, God is there in His providence, which is even more amazing than the miracles that He does. His miracles are simply uh, amazing. And we are in awe. But the providence of God in that He interweaves. He's the grand weaver, the grand designer. And He brings things into into our lives that we would never have. And all of a sudden, we've gotten to where we're at. And do you know what God has done to get you where you're You didn't know you were going to be sitting here like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40. You didn't know where you were going to be at or anything. And in fact, just... You know, even the next day, we don't always know where we're going to be. We have an idea, but isn't it amazing how God has taken certain things and He has used those things that were good, other things that were seemingly bad, and He used that for our good. Romans 8.28, great providential verse. Uh, There are trials that have come in our life that we didn't design. They weren't necessarily pleasant. But we submit to God's providence because that we know these trials. See, uh, you can say, Dennis, man, it sounds like you're awful harsh on that. Well, James is doing the thing. Back in James 1, remember that? You know? Never in this life will we fully understand God's reason for the things that He's done. And, you know, it can be the death of a loved one. It could be some kind of unfair treatment that we get from people at work or other places. Perhaps you had a real abusive parent or parents. You might even have a terrible disease or know people with terrible disease or some kind of deformity. In the context of James 4, it might be some very difficult person that's in your life who is always trying to stir up conflict. You know what? God's a providential God. They say, why is this here before me? Am I the only one that has these things come up? I want to give you some good news. You are never alone because everyone in here has gone through certain things that nobody else would really understand. You say, well, I just feel like I'm the only one. It's me against the world. 
is paid. That's why we're here to encourage each other because when you see everybody else has had struggles too and will continue to have them, it's because the potential list is absolutely endless. The potential as we live in this world you know, you, you can't help but read the daily news on your, your internet probably and watch that daily news on Facebook. And, you know, it's, sometimes I get my best news from Facebook. Can you believe it? People reporting things that I wouldn't see anywhere else. I mean, and, and I mean it's stuff that, hey, I'm glad to, to learn about. You know, we realize that life is really, I hate to tell you this, but life is terribly unfair. <laughs> you haven't learned that yet, have you? Uh, I think as a kid we can say, that's not fair. Well, right up from day one, life is not fa- it's not fair. From the human point of view, life is not fair. But the Bible is clear. That absolutely nothing happens to us apart from God's providential permission or care throughout it all. That's the beauty of God. If Satan attacks godly Job, if he would kill all his children, which that's what happened, take away the possessions and the health, it's only because God permitted Satan to do it. It was in God's will. And at the same time, you can say, how can God do that? It's all in His amazing providence. You know the end of the story of Job, don't you? God shows who He is. You say, well, I don't know know if I believe in a God like that, Dennis. I believe the God in the Bible, but what you're just talking about, look up the book of Job. Some people say, well, see, He let His his defenses down. He let down the wall, and that's why I came in there. No, just read the first part of Job where it says God had Satan to come up and report to Him. And God allowed Satan, and it's in God's plan. It wasn't by accident. He says, oh my, I didn't know that Satan was going to do that. He knows exactly, and he can stop him from doing it. And most of the time, you know what? He does do that. He does. There are certain times, though, when he doesn't. And there's a reason for that that maybe we can't understand. It's an amazing plan. And ultimately, if you are His, He's going to get you there anyway. Some people go through a lot more trials than I ever have. Some seem to go through trials in a month that I haven't had all my life. You know, it's one thing after another. Day after day, year after year for certain ones. But yet they believe in Christ. Look in Psalm 139, verse 16. I want to tell you something. We're only going to get one commandment done today. I kid you not. I was going to force our way into... Verse 7, at the end of 7, I am sorry, but then again I'm not. Because, is this good stuff? Thank you. Thank you. Boy, you guys are gracious. I love that. You, you actually want God to speak to you, don't you? Psalm 139, which is an absolute great chapter on the omnipresence and omniscience of God. The providence of God. In verse 16... Your eyes have seen my unformed substance even before he is born. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. He ordains each day. Uh, He numbers every hair on your head. That's easy on my head. God really cares. I mean, He says here that He ordains these things to happen. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good. The good things, which is most of the time in our life, and the bad things, which is really not very much in our life. It may seem like it dominates, but it really doesn't. But God chooses. That's how great and how powerful He is. That's how omniscient, how omnipresent that He is. He's with us. And that should give us not a hatred for God, but an absolute comfort. It should not be uncomforting. It should be comforting knowing He is ruling in all of this. 
And you say, well, why would God do that to Job? Well, he tells it that he is... Where were you, Job? Job had all these questions. He was ready to ask them, and God just comes in and he says, hey, my ways, they're nowhere near what your ways and your thinking are. Job was the most righteous man on the earth. My goodness. How can, how can he even say anything against this God? And he really did real well through those tests, but there were times... John 21, you have Peter and you have John and God is, Jesus is actually telling Peter, you know, uh, the way you're going to die is going to be different than the way that John's going to die. It's going to be different times. And then you have um, Stephen, the martyr, says one of the greatest messages that one could ever give and gives the good news and boom, God just takes him out. He lets him kill him. And then there are others who go all the way um, John, who wrote Revelation, he lived uh, all the way up into uh, 90 AD plus. Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. Paul was killed. All the disciples were killed. He said, Well, they're his people. Why did God allow that to happen? It means Satan has a little control there. Not outside of what God gives him. He's, you know, he's a pawn. Satan is not a God. He's an angel. He's a created being. God has absolute control over him in every moment, folks. And of course, this kind of helps us as we go into the next part, which we're not going to go into today. <laughs> Resisting the devil. And, and we'll start with that. And that's another command. I don't know. Each one of these, we all might take ten weeks to get through these commands. I really meant to get three done. Well, I'm going to sum it up in this because we have a song to do about humility. No. Uh, actually, uh, we, we sang that one, right? But we're going to finish up on a uh, on a deal dealing with humility. And then, of course, humility is where we have the Lord's Supper, right? And, of course, in that, it's realizing He is our very blessing cup. That comes out of a psalm. Psalm 116. When we realize where our blessings come from. Jesus is the perfect example of what submission is, of what humility is. Here is humility in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He tells us to be humble. And in Philippians 2, he gives the epitome of humility. Christ, who is God, came down to earth to die in the most humane way that you can imagine. To take our place. And then He will be exalted. He is the Lord. He first had to come here. That was all God's plan. That's humility, isn't it? Absolute humility. And His rule. We want to submit like He said. If Jesus is that one who submitted... In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things. Things that God has planned for you and that He's going to do and give you and whatever it is, will be added to you. You. We have eternity in our hearts. You can say, well, life is, it still falls so much short. I, I can't wait until the kingdom comes. You know what? That's right. Because God has put that in our hearts. There's an eternity that's put in everybody's heart. Unbelievers, believers, they all have it. They want a place where they can actually go where there is no sin. Absolutely everything is perfect. You don't have to worry about anything. It's all just amazing glory. That's what everybody really is after. And they put it in in movies sometimes that offer hope, but they fall short because that story is found in our Bible. In Genesis we see the Garden of Eden. But it goes beyond the Garden of Eden. We're talking about an eternal kingdom where there is no possibility of sin. Never to sin. Nobody sin against us. And so we want to yield our members of the body. Each one, the, the very flesh. We want to yield this instrument to the Lord as it says in Romans 6.12. That's submission, isn't it? I give Him everything. 
Father, thank you for your truth. And it is humbling. And we realize that it all starts with bowing to you. And doing that the rest of our lives. And it's because we love to do it. Because we see in your providential work that you are putting together an amazing work that we could never have done. We would all like the candy and the desserts. But you take the rough stuff and mold us and make us. And you make us eventually into the beings that you have planned. You're doing it right now on us. And so we want to submit to God. We want to do as James says is, um, later, to draw near to God. To have uh, you as the one we absolutely love in every shape, every manner, every, every form. And so therefore, we submit. We bow our knee to Jesus Christ. In your Son's name, Amen.